Do you like the work we're doing here at It's All Journalism? For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us continue the conversation about good journalism. Show your support by donating to our Patreon campaign. Go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to donate. There seems to be an appetite for for more in that area. And particularly, I mean, people that care about their communities, you know, there's ways that they're able to work on projects that, you know, help their communities across party lines. There's, I think, more commitment and interest in exploring that in a way that is kind of challenging to do at the national level. Welcome to It's All Journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell, here with another podcast about digital media makers and journalism that matters. We're talking again today about stories that matter and change communities. Last year, you might remember that I spoke to Andrea Wenzel, the co-author of a Tau Center report on solutions journalism. She's a senior fellow at the Tau Center and will be teaching a solutions journalism class this fall. She's back on the podcast today to talk about her latest Tau Center report. Welcome back to the podcast, Andrea. Good. Thanks. It's great to be here. So you sent you reached out to me and, and to let me know what you were working on because uh, we had a nice response from the solutions journalism. People like the idea of, well, journalism that, you know, helps to reach new communities, that, that provides solutions for uh, problems in those communities. And uh, you'd been working at something in... Uh, Southern California, that's what our discussion was about. But now you've moved and are concentrating on a, a report that you just did about a project that was in uh, Chicago. Could you sort of tell me about that? Yeah, no, this it was kind of an interesting thing because it, it followed on from the, the report that we did about solutions journalism. One of the things that we had found in that study was that people really, I mean, they appreciated the concept of solutions journalism, but they also wanted to have more opportunities to engage in different parts of the reporting. This is this is residents of South LA. And they're saying, you know, we really think this is great, but we'd like to participate more in generating story ideas and then and you know kind of all the way through the process of production. And the other thing that we had recommended was that journalists might do well to connect more with local community organizations and that that was something that would be good for foundations to support. And I, I, you know, check, I follow what WBEZ does. And so I heard about this Curious City project that they've been doing for quite some time. So it's Chicago Public Radio's, one of their programs. And I heard that they were doing a new outreach project. And so it caught my eye because it was a project that was kind of doing some of these things and that their overall project all along has always been about engaging with the audience and, and asking them to ask questions about Chicago. But they had decided that they wanted to try to find a way to hear from different listeners than they had been hearing from. And so they were going to do this experiment in outreach where they would try to connect more with community members and also to involve community organizations. And that it was something that a foundation was supporting. So I was like, oh, that's that's really interesting. I want to follow that. So what was it in particular that they were trying to do? What was the, mm -hmm. the sort of focus of Curious Cities? Or yeah, so... I mean, maybe I should explain a little bit more about how Curious City works. So the concept is it's um, a project that uses the Harkin platform, and they invite listeners to ask a question about Chicago. And then once those questions are, are kind of nominated, then they pick some of them and put them in what they call a voting round. The audience can then vote on those questions, and then whatever question wins is then followed up on and they make a story out of it. And they often involve the listener in the process of, of reporting the story. And then so it's kind of an interactive process. And what 
they noticed, you know, back in like probably 2015, their editor was like, you know, this is going really well. We're getting a lot of response, but we're getting a lot of questions from the same areas. We're hearing from a lot of the sort of usual suspect neighborhoods of public radio. So in the case of Chicago, that meant they weren't hearing very much from South and West Side communities that were primarily African-American and Latino. And they also weren't hearing from some of the suburbs, which were primarily white. And so they were like, how do we how do we get these folks asking questions? You know, we have this mission of covering the whole region. How can we do that? And so they they set up this year long experiment where they said, okay, we're going to try several different ways of doing outreach and we're going to see what worked best. And so that's where I came in and started kind of following them around as they did that and, and kind of trying to find out more about that. Yeah. And that's actually one of those things that I that I really like about this and about this sort of whole approach that sometimes when you're covering the same community over and over again and you find yourselves doing the same sort of stories, talking to the same sort of sources, that it actually kind of makes makes your job dull and makes your content dull, that you, you're, not, you're not reaching new voices, you're not bringing new people into the discussion. And I know there's been a lot of talk recently about, you know, how how we can get more diverse populations involved in in the coverage that we're doing, that we're not, the newsrooms aren't just, you know, just reporting the usual suspects, as you say. So this is something you say that, that helps to address that. Absolutely. I mean, I think after the elections, there's all this conversation about listening. Like we, we haven't been doing a good enough job listening to our public, to our audience. And I mean, Curious City, I think, is an interesting case of trying to do that. And they had, they'd been trying to do this you know, before the elections. But I mean, this this particular project, they set out these kind of four different ways, sorry, three different ways they're going to try to do outreach to see which of them would be the most effective. Um, and so they tried face-to-face. So they would just basically go up to people and they, first they identified what communities are we missing. And they said, okay, we're going to go to these communities and we're just going to go up to people face-to-face and, and try to ask them to contribute questions. And this this worked really well. They got, they got some really interesting questions that way, but it was also not very efficient. <laughs> it's, um, you know, if you're going into a neighborhood where they've never heard of your radio station, let alone why do you want me to ask a question? You know, it can take a little while to explain that. And it's, it's quite a process. It was, it took a lot of manpower. Um, so that was one option. The other one they tried was doing outreach through partners. So this would be community organizations or libraries or cafes, and they would invite the partner to help them get questions from their own, you know, communities and memberships. And, you know, so one of the things they did was they set up like a, a little question box. If you can imagine, like if you go into a coffee shop and you see one of those little boxes that you can drop in a piece of paper or something, it was something that probably unsurprisingly didn't work really well because the people who were you know, at these at these organizations or cafes didn't necessarily tell people what this was all the time. And so it, it kind of it didn't generate very many questions. And then the third thing they tried was a Facebook campaign where they they you know got Facebook advertisements and they sent it out to about 200,000 people. And they got a lot of clicks on this campaign, but they only got 14 questions, which is pretty terrible considering how much money they had to spend on it. So that one was probably one of the more disappointing parts of the effort. The thing that worked the best for their attempts to to reach out to these neighborhoods was 
by combining face-to-face outreach with partners. So in this case, it was a very old school approach. They would go to public libraries and set out a table with some information. And then when people would come, they would just talk to them. And it was a way that they were kind of getting the advantage of having this face-to-face interaction with people from these neighborhoods, but in a way that it was sort of more trusted and kind of people could engage with them or not on their own terms. So it's kind of, it's interesting. They did this big experiment and they found out, you know, it's, it's maybe not these like kind of fancy new things, but it's, you know, combining, we have this great digital platform, but we also need to combine it with, you know, old school face-to-face outreach as well. So that was, I thought, an interesting result from their experiment. You mentioned the uh, Harkin platform, and I think that was something we discussed the last time you were on the podcast. Can you sort of describe what that is and, and how people use it? Sure. I mean, so Harkin's a, a digital platform that different newsrooms around the world are using. I think they have, I don't know, at least 70, probably more than that by now. And different outlets can use it in a different way depending on what their interests and needs are. So basically, it gives them an easy way to invite their audience to ask questions. And I should probably not use the word audience, it's publics, because audience implies a sort of, you know, different passive thing. But they, they, it's a way of getting your, your listeners or your readers to be able to ask a question about whatever issue you, you want. So it can be very open, like they do for Curious City. Or you could be like, you know, what questions do you have about education? Or you know, it, could, it could be more specific, depending on whatever that newsroom wants to do. And it just makes it so that it gives you a, a digital platform to make that process easy, to make it so you can kind of easily see what questions are coming in. And then so you can have like a voting round so people can vote on what ones they want to hear. But the they have a number of new tools now, like a, I think an open notebook tool that kind of encourages more transparency in the reporting process. But the, the thing that I find really interesting about it is it kind of has a fundamentally different idea about engagement from you know, so-called traditional reporting models, you know, so in in the past you would have, you might think about the role of the audience as being, you know, people who are going to weigh in once a story is done by commenting or something like that. But with this Harkin model, they try to make engagement with the public kind of more throughout. So you hear from people at the very beginning, you hear people asking, you know, saying, here's what I'm interested in, you know, please report on this. And then you also involve them in the reporting process. So they have an opportunity to kind of clarify, well, you know, actually, I'm interested in this angle of it, or, or don't forget to ask that. <laughs> so it, it kind of, it's much more active in the way people are involved. And the thing that I think Harkin has the potential also to do that didn't necessarily happen so much in this Curious City case is that it can also continue to involve audience members or members of the public after the story's broadcast or you know been published. I've talked to the founder of Harkin about before that she feels very strongly that that's something that they would like to happen, where you can not only you know just think about this as a tool, but you can use it as a way of engaging people even beyond the point where a story airs by you know then going back to the community and engaging them more by maybe having a community event or a live tweeting thing. And this is something that Curiosity itself has done a little bit in the past, but in this particular project I was looking at with them, didn't really have the opportunity to do. And it comes down to resources. So yeah, so basically Harkin is a tool and it can be used in lots of different ways, but it's kind of philosophy, I think is really interesting when we think about engagement. And and I like the idea that, that you're actually engaging people in this story 
uh, process that in the story development process, I think that definitely there needs to be something there needs to be something more newsrooms are doing, you know, to get away from this idea that we're you know we're choosing what the most important stories are. I mean, certainly, you know, journalists you know covering a beat are going to have a, a particular you know, expertise on some, some things, but, you know, that also, there are a lot of other factors in it that impact our choice and, and the way we approach stories and the, the, the stories we even choose to, uh, to cover. I mean, that was one of the things that when I was looking through the, um, the report last night that sort of jumped out at me is that yes, you know, reporters will, if they want to cover a particular community, they've got certain experiences and certain interests. They're going to choose things that are going to be easy or interesting to them. And they may not seek out those stories that have different voices that are maybe more challenging or maybe even better stories just because they're not as easy or, or familiar. Yeah. Or, I mean, I think one of the reporters I talked to said she, she really liked this process because it helped them avoid what she called, um, I think, stupid editor questions or stupid editor story ideas, which was she was very clear to say, not my editors. I like my editors. But this idea that, you know, a lot of times story ideas will be generated from kind of a group of people who are kind of, you know, insulated in some way. And maybe they're driving to, what they see driving to work or, you know, on, on the public transit to work <laughs> that it, you know, it, maybe it, I've done it, that it makes in my the past. impetus come from the from different people, not just the editor. Yeah. But, and also it, reporters would say things like, you know, this, you know, they, they, a lot of them saw it as like something that was useful to them because it justified doing kinds of stories that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise, that otherwise there'd be kind of a, this argument you'd have to make for why people will care about it. But they're like, Hey, we can say why people care about it. Cause it, like, it came from them, <laughs> you know? So it, it sort of, it helped them get past certain gatekeeping, things by being able to say, you know, this is something that came from the community. So yes, it has some sort of, some sort of connection to them. Yeah. They, they have the value, you know, they're identifying the thing that they, they really care about. And it's funny because, you know, we've talked on this podcast before about, you know, using in reader engagement, using data analytics to, you know, identify the types of stories and things that your audience is interested in. And, you know, it seems like such a, I don't know, a foolish perception that you're going to know what they're most interested in better than them, the people who are living those experiences. And it's all goes back to what you were saying before about, you know, going to the election and the, you know, journalists being criticized for, you know, hey, why don't you listen to, to what we're saying, the, the point of view that we have? You know, that's something that we really always should be challenging ourselves to do is to tell different stories, to talk to different types of people. But we don't always do it. Part of its resources, part of its laziness, you know, any opportunity to do that is, I think, uh, exciting. I think it opens up a lot of possibilities about improving the scope and the coverage that we do. So one of the things, you know, you, you sort of mentioned about, the you know, setting up in the library, um, you know, I thought that was really a smart thing to do because, you know, it, you're, you're meeting somebody on a neutral ground. It's a little, a little different if you're trying to grab somebody on the street. But if, you, if, if you're at a place where people come and, you know, and are generally comfortable, you know, it, it's an opportunity for you to show that you're not super scary, that you're not trying to trick them or something, but actually are interested in what they have to say. And then you can listen to their experience. I think that face to face is so important in this type of journalism, this type of engagement. Yeah, no, I think the library was a great concept because it makes sense, right? I mean, people have a sort of, the library kind of has trust and legitimacy already. So by associating with them, they get some of that trust rubbing off on them. And then at the same time, you know, 
if somebody really doesn't want to talk to them, they could just walk by. They have to kind of make a little bit of an initiative to engage with them. But because they were there face to face and not just only relying on the library, like library staff to tell people about it, they were able to kind of really explain and, you know, kind of talk with people. Why do you want to question? You know, what what is this question business? And so they could kind of, you know, explain to people why they wanted to hear their perspective and how they were going to use it and what the process, how it worked. And so it kind of humanized it and, and made it more comfortable to people. So, yeah, I mean, I think that was a really interesting idea. I'm sure there's probably other kinds of institutions or organizations that that could work with. But the library was great because it also you know, kind of puts you in different geographic areas. And, and often it's a place where people from, you know, all around will kind of come to. And it also, I mean, it's, it is a kind of neutral-ish ground where, you know, they're not necessarily associated with one particular issue or agenda or another. Yeah. And, but of course, the other thing you have to remember is, is that if you're really looking for a diverse set of sources and, and voices, I mean, you're, you're really only going to be pulling the people who are going to be coming to a library. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it, yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for for making the effort to, you know, try lots of different places, not just settle on one and wait yeah. for somebody to show up. But understanding that, you know, some people have jobs, they're not going to come or, or they, they're not interested in a library, you know, figuring out different scenarios that are outside maybe your comfort zone, provided they're safe um, yeah. <laughs> to talk to people. Oh, absolutely. And I think they would agree with that, too. I mean, I think they tried to, like, do as much as they could as far as going at different times of day and different days of the week and all of that. But, of course, you are, like, getting a certain section of people. And, you know, I think having combinations of different kinds of strategies would be the the goal. It's just if if you're thinking about a limited amount of resources and time that you can kind of put for something, that was probably the more efficient way, I think. They got some great material just doing you know, face-to-face outreach in different areas, but it's just it, it took more time. So I think a combination would be ideal. Yeah, and the other thing is, you know, this is a this is a an NPR station, correct? So mm-hmm. yeah. so their their scope of who they're trying to get is pretty wide, and not all not all news outlets are, are shooting for that wide of a of an audience. Figuring out, you know, not only who your audience is. Which voices that that you're missing, you know, that's that's kind of key. And you know, it was helpful for the one editor here at this uh, NPR station to be able to look at it from a strictly locality-based data, where she was able to look at here here are all the neighborhoods where we've been getting questions from. We know what the socioeconomic makeup of these different neighbors neighborhoods are. That's kind of narrow for for who we think or who we want our audience to be, you know. And then stepping outside that and try to, you know, go to other communities, not just location, but you know, to try to find different, you know, social sets of people that uh, you can reach out to. Yeah, no, it's pretty amazing that they that they took the time to do this. And I mean, I think. It's a lot of credit to them for kind of taking the time to step back and really analyze it. And I also think it's important to like recognize that foundations should be supporting this sort of thing, because if they want to support kind of engagement in journalism and change, that this is the kind of thing that seems to be productive. It gives them a little bit of time. They're able to hire an outreach producer to help them with this project, because if they just tried to do it with their existing staff, it would have been probably impossible. So I think that that's something to keep in mind, too, that you know, there's reasons why not every station is able to do this sort of thing. But right. if, you know, if we want to see any sort of change, then it might be something worth 
kicking up some dough for. So how how can things like this and and social German social journalism, not social Germans, social journalism, <laughs> um, how can that sort of affect change? Do you think? Oh, I mean, I think just by involving communities in different ways. I mean, one of the other things that I think is some interesting trends that I've seen are just people who kind of take the approach of community organizers and really think about, you know, how can we involve people all along this process? I think Capital Public Radio in Sacramento has done some interesting work where they had um, community coordinating councils that sort of helped them in the production of a documentary series. I know like groups like the Listening Post do a great job of this where they, you know, use both combinations of, of technologies, like things like Harkin or things that you can send text messages, but also having a physical presence in communities, putting up signs in communities. But, you know, if, if, if local, local journalism is going to stay relevant and kind of build on its relevance, it's going to, it does, you know, it'll do well to you know, treat its community well and, and think about not just certain sections of it. It's, it's a source for you know, ideas. And ideally, you know, these journalists will be kind of looking to the people that they're, they're supposed to be reporting for in a more kind of interaction kind of way. And that will not only give them good coverage, but also hopefully, you know, build their audience and, and kind of deepen their connection. So how did the Chicago NPR people, the, the people in, in Curious City, did they judge the success or failure of uh, their project? I think they they were quite happy with the library part of it. I, you know, they it, it is pretty unique that they were kind of looking at this as an experiment. You know, so they weren't necessarily trying to just like, have the best net effect. They really wanted to see what works and what doesn't. And so, I mean, they learned a lot from the Facebook thing not working. You know, and so that was something that. I think going forward, what they and I and I should say, like, I'm not entirely sure what their current thinking is on it as far as at this you know, particular moment, because there's obviously, you know, they have their own resource issues and planning issues. I mean, where I left off, they were hopeful to try to explore things like the library partnership more and expand on that, but kind of just like learn from that process and put all of their eggs into the more productive parts of the basket so that going forward, they can kind of do it in a way that's more efficient and is sustainable. Yeah, I, I like the idea that being able to do an experiment on something to improve the way you do your job, uh, being able to have those resources, you, you say, you know, turning to a foundation to get that to help you out. Uh, you know, how can other newsrooms, you know, maybe not necessarily radio, but uh, print or, or online uh, outlets, how, how do you think they can um, sort of adapt this type of uh, strategy? Well, I think there's some things that can be, I mean, by learn, I think you can learn some things at, at the abstracts from this as far as, you know, take the digital tools that you have, but also don't forget about offline face-to-face -face outreach possibilities, which oftentimes are not that expensive. I mean, I mean, one of the things that I spoke with the Curious City people about that they would probably do differently in the future would be, you know, just make some flyers or something. When you go out and talk to people and try to do this sort of outreach, like give them like a simple flyer or something so that they can not only participate in the asking questions and that side of things, but also that they know where to listen to the program and, you know, how, how they can get involved if they want to tweet about it, or, you know, maybe there's going to be a community event, but kind of some of these more grassroots approaches, um, I think can be really beneficial and aren't necessarily, 
going to be as costly as some other some other things are. Of course, I understand like a lot of newsrooms and, and different kinds of outlets are on a really tight, you know, resource budget. And, and this can be tricky. But I think just, you know, kind of centering the community and the public kind of at the heart of like how you decide what to cover and, and kind of giving them a bit more credit, not assuming that they're I mean, assuming that they that they know what they want for, for valid reasons and that they're not that you don't necessarily have to tell them, you know, what they know. Of course, you know, there was varied opinion as far as like how much people would want to see this as like, I mean, would they want an entire station, for example, that was just based on, you know, questions from from the public and not everybody thought that that would be a good idea. So I, I can certainly see that it's not necessarily something that should be all or nothing, but that there, you know, there's there's kind of a lot going on there and probably the centering that question when you think about how to plan your coverage could be valuable. Yeah, I have a relatable from from where I work at Federal News Radio. I know that, you know, we cover the federal bureaucracy and, you know, our target audience are, are federal managers. And uh, one area that we never really did a lot of coverage in was like federal property management, um, you know, leasing these buildings that all of the agencies use. And there are actually companies that, you know, contractors who, you know, that's that's uh, the those are the ones who handle all that sort of property. So there's this whole another there's a whole other econo- economy within our industrial coverage or, or uh, that we never really did anything about. And so it was actually the sales department who said, hey, you know, we think there's a potential here for, you know, a new type of sales audience, but maybe also a new type of uh, coverage area. That mm. And so rather than, you know, going out and asking questions in the community, they actually brought, you know, some industry, people who are involved in the industry, they, they reached out to a, a like a, a labor group or a the, or association that, that all of these contractors were, were involved in and invited them in for coffee. It wasn't anything more, more formal than that. And they, they just, you know, spent a couple hours talking about, you know, what are the issues that, that, are, that you're interested in? You know, what types of stories you think would like to read or, or think would reflect well on your industry and that, that our readers would be interested in? And so we were able to generate story ideas out of that. And then, of course, you know, the salespeople could then sell them ads, et cetera. But it, what was more important is it was sort of exposing to us in a very informal way to a different type of story that we didn't necessarily cover, but that had very a great deal of value in a, in a larger audience. So, you know, just identifying those things and look for situations for you to listen to people who could be your sources, people who could be the, the community that you're reaching out to. Yeah, no, that's a great example. I mean, I think people sometimes get intimidated by like the idea of like, say, doing a focus group, which is kind of sounds a little bit like what happened there. And it, it can be just like, let's have some people in and have coffee and talk about what they'd like to hear more of. I mean, it doesn't have to be a sort of massive project. There's different scales and ways of doing these things. Um, but I think just, you know, being open to knowing that we need to know what people want and ask them sometimes directly, yeah. I think is a good first step. Yeah, no, it's sometimes it, it, listening isn't just like showing up somewhere. Sometimes you, you have to go hunt people down, you know, think about what types of questions you're going to ask. Let's jump tracks a, a little bit. You're going to be at Temple in this, this fall teaching social journalism. Is this the first time you're going to be doing that? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be a assistant professor there and I'll be teaching solutions journalism as, as one of my courses. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm very excited about that. That'll be a new thing for me. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I just, so as you know, I'm, I'm going to be teaching podcasting at American university in a few months. 
So it's the first time I've cool. ever done that. Yeah, it is kind of cool. I'm excited about it, a little scared about it. Have you, <laughs> done, have you done your curriculum yet? I still need to work on yeah, that some yeah, more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. You know, what would you like your students to have when they leave your class? Well, Temple's actually been doing a great job already of teaching a few solutions journalism courses. They're one of the few places that you can find that on the, you know, in the, the syllabus or I mean, in the you know curriculum. And they've had students do some pretty great multimedia reporting and, and doing reporting like based on local issues so that they'll you know, explore an issue like gun violence or addiction, and they'll go about it with a solutions angle. And so I think last year's course or last year's um, class did it on addiction and they did this great multimedia series about it. Um, it's something that I think is, is a real kind of highlight of you know, what they're able to offer. And it's one of the few places that's doing it. So I'm, I'm hoping to, to work with students to do, you know, in community engaged reporting, also to look into opportunities to work with, you know, other local community media outlets and, and also the media in the region and, and explore possibilities for collaboration there. And then I'm also continuing on with some research, um, some of which also connects to solutions journalism. I'm currently working on a project in Kentucky where we're trying to understand what does political polarization look like at the local level? Like what does that kind of abstract concept mean in people's daily lives? And, and what does, what does it look like for local media and local journalism? And are there potentials for, for local news to be places where people are able to connect across lines of party or demographics and, you know, what kinds of opportunities might grow from that. So those are some of the things that are kind of on my on my plate at the moment. And I'm hoping to kind of they all sort of tie together in a, in a way, but <laughs> hoping to explore those more. That Kentucky thing sounds really fascinating. How is that? You know, how are you going to execute that? Are you you know, have you done much work on it yet? Yeah, so I'm, I'm collaborating with a local partner there, someone named Sam Ford. And we've been working together to right now I've been doing a project kind of trying to understand people's the kind of academic jargony thing, their communication ecologies and their kind of local storytelling networks. Basically, I'm trying to understand like what are people, who are they, not only what not only what media do they use, but also who are they talking to? What kind of community organizations are they linked to? And then looking at are there things that are shared across party lines? So do they all go to the same church or you know, are they all reading the same local newspaper? And are there any opportunities to kind of build off of that through possibly through engagement projects? So we've also been talking to different local media outlets there, trying to find out if you know, there might be some potential for you know, projects going forward. We want that to be something that comes from them. So we're going to be organizing a workshop probably at the end of the summer and early fall where we're hoping to bring together different media outlets and also kind of regional players and in, in these issues and see if there might be something that they can, can do as a collaboration going forward. Yeah, that, that's kind of right at the sweet spot a lot, well, of a lot of what people are talking about right now with what's going on with the political coverage and the way people are consuming their, their political news is how, how divided it is. It, but finding solutions, especially at a local level, I think that you're going to find a lot of a lot of those solutions there, because I think that's where we, we've seen a lot of starvation as far as news goes, you know, that, you know, people are relying on cable news and, and large newspapers where they may not be getting the same sort of local feed that they used to get when the, when the economy was better. There's gaps, but there's also opportunities there. So there's, you know, people who 
might feel like the well has been poisoned at the national level where there's just you know, not any trust necessarily for either side of the, you know, what they see as partisan national media outlets, but where they, you know, somehow need to find out what's going on locally. And so they may have a shared local source. They may have some things that they wish were a little stronger or maybe have some resource issues, but they, there seems to be an uh, appetite for, for more in that area. And particularly, I mean, people that care about their communities, there's ways that they're able to work on projects that, you know, help their communities across party lines. There's kind of a, I think, more commitment and interest in exploring that in a way that is kind of challenging to do at the national level. Yeah. And, and because it's so close to them, they, they, they see the results. It, it's, you know, sometimes the, the, the national stories are so abstract that they can't see, you know, the, you know, the boots on the ground. They can't see the, the actual benefits of something they may have voted for or voted against, but, but actually seeing something in your community that, that maybe you can actually even you or your family members can participate in. And the experience of that can be so meaningful and, and reinforcing for, you know, more local journalism, better coverage, better, you know, things like that. That's, that's the nice thing about that. It just sort of self-propagates when it works well. Yeah. And it also, I think, allows us to get at some of the like rural, urban or rural small town issues, <laughs> at least for this project where we're looking at a, a small town and then a more rural area and just looking at the issues in rural journalism that I don't think get talked about quite enough. It's been really interesting. And I'm I'm looking forward to kind of exploring that some more. Cool. Well, I'm going to have to check back in with you when that, when that's a, when you wrap that cool. up. When's that going to happen? Hopefully we'll be able to share the findings of what we have and and do the workshop around September, but that's still a little bit tentative. Cool. Cool. Well, we'll we'll check back in with you. Andrea, thanks for for uh, reaching out, letting us know that you're what you're working on. Solutions journalism is really kind of a fascinating thing for me. You know, I think we all want to do journalism that makes a difference. It's nice to see different ways where we can involve the community and actually the community actually sees the benefits of the journalism that's going on near them. Cool. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to chat about it. No problem. Next time on It's All Journalism. And so one of the things that got added, I think, in this last version is that when you make an incorrect answer, you get some feedback that tells you why you were wrong. So if you thought something was fake, the feedback to you is this is what you missed. Right. So the idea is we're not banging you over the head saying, dummy, this is what. But that's a little piece of information that hopefully people then take forward. Be sure to join us next week when we talk to Robert Hone and Maggie Farley of the American University Game Lab and Studio about Factitious, a new game that helps people identify fake news stories. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about digital media. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. This week's episode was edited by Nicola Grisco. Amber Healy provided our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music, and I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Hey, you've written a book. You can order copies of Turn Up the Volume, a Down and Dirty Guide to Podcasting on our website. Visit itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page. Isn't it time you started your podcast? Do you like the work that we're doing here at It's All Journalism? Now you can show your support on our Patreon page. Follow the link at the top of our website and donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you can access exclusive content and receive updates about upcoming episodes. Donate a little bit more and we'll send you a cool swag like our It's All Journalism mug or a signed copy of my podcasting book. There are even opportunities for you to submit ideas for future shows or even appear on an episode. Go to itsalljournalism.com and click on the Patreon link to find out more. 
It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening. The What's Working in Washington podcast with your host, Jonathan Aberman. We share this region's innovative, entrepreneurial, and creative spirit. This podcast tells impressive stories of passion and spunk taking place here in the D.C. region. It illustrates how the nation's capital is anything but the stuffy, bureaucratic, politics-only reputation it tries to shed. The What's Working in Washington podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast D.C. The Finish the Game Podcast with your host, Sean Alexander. Draw play to Sean. Across the 10, the 5. Touchdown, Seahawks. Hey, this is Sean Alexander, NFL MVP. Check out my podcast, Finish the Game, where I discuss sports and life lessons helping you become an MVP. The Finish the Game Podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC.